Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right. Welcome back, guys. Glad to have you guys back. So we'll read the quick Apple podcast review of the week. Uh, this one is pretty cool. It comes in from V Pugliese. He's, uh, he's got a really cool podcast on his own. I happen to know this guy. So he writes uh, the headline, A Needed Space for Faith-Based Fathers, Five Stars. I've known Dan for years, and this is so fulfilling to hear him bring this message to the world. His faith and family have always been top priorities, and to create a place for these conversations for Christian dads is such a perfect fit. The interviews are excellent. And the messages truly hit home. Great job. Awesome. Thanks, Vincent. Freelance to Freedom is, uh, is his podcast. Super great guy. Appreciate you, Vincent. And now let's get on with the show. Let's get on with the show. We've got Kyle McClellan, World Series champion, former Major League Baseball pitcher, pitched for the best team of all time. In case you all don't know, I'll tell you, it's the St. Louis Cardinals. By now, you've heard me talk Cardinals enough on this show that uh, that you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that this is the best team going in Major League Baseball. Kyle grew up in the same basic city where I grew up, and great family guy, outdoorsman, into fitness, just all the type of things that I love. And he's he's got a bold faith also. And again, that's one of the reasons why this podcast is out there. So you can listen in on guys that are intentional, living life right, and not afraid to share their faith. So with that. Welcome, Kyle McClellan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I'm so excited to have you on. I've been waiting, waiting quite some time for the connection to come together where we can make this happen. Baseball, we might as well just jump into that real quick. 2011 won the World Series. It was, uh, you know, that's that's obviously the year that 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 you remember, you know, and sticks out. But it's, you know, that year was. Uh, you know, I played five years here in St. Louis. Um, you know, that year was building for so long. You know, it, it uh, drafted out of high school here in 2002 and playing in, in, uh, in the Cardinals organization, growing up as a kid, a huge Cardinals fan. And then finally, after, you know, a bumpy road in the minor leagues and some struggles and arm surgeries to make the team in 2008 and be a part of that. We didn't, didn't make the playoffs there, then had a chance in the playoffs in 09 and got a taste of it real quick. We got swept by the Dodgers. 10 don't make the playoffs and then, you know, boom, all of a sudden 11, you know, we don't have a chance to make it and we start rolling. And um, <laughs> next thing you know, we're, we're in this thing and uh, you know, and going all the way and in the world series. And it's just, it feel like it happened in the blink of an eye, you know, and, but to be a part of that team is awesome. Cause you know, there's a lot of teams I've been a part of that won't be remembered. You know, it's just another team and, and uh, that team in 11 will always be remembered. And um, you know, it's it just special to be a part of it. You know, there's been 11 championships here in St. Louis. The organization has been around a long time and to be, you know, to only have five years in that major league uniform, but for one of those to cover one of those world series is, is special because that team is, is looked at differently than, than any other team. And uh, so, yeah, crazy, you know, after that, it, my career was really never the same from there. It was a downward spiral due to some shoulder issues and uh, you know, left the organization after the 12 season and went to the Rangers for a year and uh and then i was out i was i was out of the game so it happens quick uh you know you got to enjoy it take advantage of it and uh and 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 remember it because next thing you know you're out of it and it's you know 5 10 15 20 years later um and you forget how 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 great of a run it was bring up the shoulder so you probably won't remember this but the local chiropractor office was having like a grand opening open house type thing. And you're signing some baseballs after the 2011 season. And we met that day, your father was there. And I said, Hey, I got a question. You know, how, how do you think the arm's going to hold up and, you know, recovery and fitness and what are you doing? And I don't know if you remember your answer, but your answer was, well, as long as they let me start or let me relieve, as long as they don't move me back and forth, I'll be just fine. Yeah. Yeah, that ended up being the end of it too. You know, I was a reliever for most of the time, and then that year in '11 went to to the rotation. And 
in May of that year is when I started feeling it and started fighting it. And you could see clearly from my numbers, I started out, I think six and O or seven and O and uh, went on the DL for a hip and came back and my shoulder was never the same. Um, I started feeling it, started fighting it and it got worse and worse and worse. And my numbers went down, you know, it was a battle. I ended up going back to the bullpen that year. Um, but it was just the, you know, the amount of innings that I threw that year and um, just took its, its, its toll on me. And, you know, it's hard. It is, it is hard going back and forth. And especially for a guy, I was a minor league, you know, reliever for the, or a starter for the most part until I had my injury. Tommy John was out for two years, then was in the bullpen um, just for a year. So coming out of rehab for two years where I didn't pitch, and then went to the bullpen. And then the next year I was in the big leagues, you know, it all happened quick, but you know, I wouldn't change anything. I left it all out there literally. And, uh, you know, was, was able to be a part of the teams I was a part of and, you know, helped us win. I always say that year in 11, you know, we got in on the last day. So I won 12 games that year. If I win 11, we don't get in, you know, so, you know, being a part of that and contributing in the way that, that I was able to, whether it was a bullpen or the, or the rotation, you know, Wainwright had Tommy John that year. So that's why I went in the rotation for him. And, it just ended up working out just barely, but it ended up working out. What a crazy thing that Wayno goes down and then has the career that he's had. And then him going down was allowed, allowed you to get into the rotation. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, he was dealing with it in 2010. People don't know that. And, and we knew it. And then uh, in the off season was trying to get better And his first bullpen in spring training. He was like, I can't do it. And so right then I kind of, they came to me and said, get ready. You know, we got to ramp you up and, um, it was early in spring, so I had time and was able to leave, you know, as a starter. And I, I wanted to be a starter. I, I felt like my stuff was more starter stuff. I didn't throw 98. You know, I threw 91, 93 with movement. I had four pitches. And so I, I carved out a nice little niche as the eighth inning guy. But, you know, I felt like I was suited better for a long term as a, as a starter if I could if I could hold up. I also struggled in the minor leagues as a starter. And so a kind of part of it was like, I wanted to prove to myself that I can do it on the highest stage, the highest level, because I think I can start. I think I could be successful, you know, from the lessons I learned in the minor leagues. I think I'm a different pitcher and, you know, got the chance for a little bit, you know, but like I said, it, it, that little bit was enough to, to get us where we needed to go. So what was the 2011 season like from, from your seat on the team? You know, it's just, I, I guess, up and down, you know, we started off, you know, had a lot of expectations coming into the year of what we were going to be able to do. And uh, we just really never hit our stride and um, just kind of floundered a little bit. We're just kind of right there, but you know, we're never like totally out of it, but never really put ourselves in it either. And uh, <clears throat> made, made some trades there at the deadline that, that helped us. And, and all of a sudden, once we started clicking, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I've, I've said a lot that, you know, in, in baseball, there's very few times that you show up to the field knowing you're going to win. And I mean, that's happened maybe twice in my whole career where you just get on these stretches that you just know you're going to win. And that, that we were able to have, you know, probably late August, it started, but I would say by early September, you started to have that feeling like we're going to win today. Even if we give up three in the first, we're going to figure it out. And it's not always going to be Albert. That's going to do it. We're, you know, other guys are going to chip in and, and, and pitch. It might be our four starter. It might be the guy off the bench that steals a bag. It might be, you know, uh, whatever. And um, that was an odd feeling, you know, honestly to know there's times where you come to the field, knowing you're going to lose. I'll tell you that, you know, you get those <laughs> stretches and, and that happens quick, you know, and, and it's, it's hard to get out of. And uh, for us, I think we all knew it. <clears throat> it was just a matter of, can we, can we just keep it going? Can we, can we stay in this, in this good rut? and ride this all the way out or is it, is it going to fall? You know, is this, is this really the, how good of a team we are? We just haven't been playing or are we just on fire right now? And if we're on fire, eventually it's going to cool off, but we need it to, we need it to last here for until the postseason's over. And it did, but uh, you know, from my seat, it was great, you know, being a part of those games down to the wire, you know, pitching in those spots where you knew you had to win, you couldn't lose uh, every, every game we lost down that stretch, you felt like it was over you know, and then uh, Atlanta would lose again. And, and, you know, you'd be like, Oh, maybe we have a chance, you know? And, <laughs> and then during the playoffs, you know, it was just, uh, there's nothing like the playoffs as a player and as a fan, you know, for me, like watching, it's just not the same, but man, being in that uniform and, and showing up every day and every pitch hanging on every pitch and, and every play is, is something that, you know, it's, it's, it's really special to be a part of. And you were injured in the playoffs or for the playoffs. So you didn't, pitch were you at all the games and everything still still oh yeah I was on the uh, so I was 
not on the NLDS roster. I was on the NLCS roster and only pitched okay. like two thirds of an inning against Milwaukee. And then the World Series roster I wasn't on. So um, me and Jake Westbrook were flipping back and forth. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I was right there in the dugout, you know, cheering on and and doing my part and making sure when we were on the road that when our guys came off the field, they had they had cheerleaders there and knew we were there supporting them. And uh, so, yeah, we were right there for the whole thing. How about how about the David Freeze game? You know, that that is uh, that that whole game is just so wild. I, I um, whenever I talk about it, I always tell people I like to watch celebrations. So no matter if it's, you know, what sport, it doesn't matter. I, I when they win, I will keep it on. I like to watch. I like to watch how they celebrate. I like the trophy presentation, you know, because as an athlete, you work your whole life for that moment. And it doesn't happen very often. More people are never going to experience that moment than, than will. And, um, and so I've always, as a kid, I've always, you know, just enjoyed that moment. And so I'll never forget being in the dugout uh, game six down to our last strike. And I was, I didn't watch the play cause I was watching their, their bench. I wanted to see what it looked like to win the world series. And uh, <laughs> when the ball went in the air, when freeze hit the first one to right field, I was watching them and they were, they were like on the field, you know, they were out of the dugout on the field by the time the ball hit, hit the wall and then it hit the wall and they all scramble and turn around and run back and they're trying to get back in the dugout. And then when Berkman came up down to the last strike, I watched again and they were still like up on, on top step trying to get, you know, wanted to be out there, but they weren't, they weren't uh, quite as, as much on the field uh, when that ball was hit. And you could just see it on their face. Like they're standing there watching that ball and it goes down and they just kind of turn around and shoulders slouched and go back in. And and then there's nobody up on the top step. There's nobody up on the railing. They're all like sitting down on the bench, you know? And, and at that moment you knew they weren't going to be able to, to do this again. And, and then we, you know, when freeze hit the home run, I remember running out there on the field thinking this is what they were supposed to be doing. Um, And this is only game six. We hadn't won it yet, but you know, having that celebration. And then I'll never forget going back in the locker room and we're all standing around and freeze is out there doing interviews. And so we're all like just standing and somebody eventually was like, what are we supposed to do? Like, we didn't even know what to do. And it's like, I guess we'll just get in the shower and go home, you know, like we normally do. Um, but everybody's just like standing around. Nobody was doing anything. Just like what in the world just happened. And, you know, at the time you don't realize it, you know, as a player, you know, it was a, a great moment, but you know, ultimately you got the win, but you don't realize all the parts that went into that. And I can't imagine watching as a fan, what people were going through. And then you had to regroup and come back. You know, the game six didn't matter if we didn't win game seven, you know, game six would have been cool, but it wouldn't have been what it is today without game seven. And when they came back and scored two in the top of the first in game seven, I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, we got Chris Carper on the mound. That's not supposed to happen. And when we came back and scored two in the bottom of the first, I knew there's no way. There's no way after what they came from last night to tonight, they can't, they can't overcome this. And, uh, and ultimately when I think it was seven to two or whatever, and thank goodness it wasn't a close game because I, I was, uh, I couldn't take any more. Yeah. After we got up, it never felt like a close game. It felt like they were yeah. flat and it was just over. I was, right. we, I was and we were just going to watch okay Carpenter ring them up. Yeah. I was all right with that. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. The night before yeah. or game six took a lot out of me. That's for sure. I'm sure it took a lot out of you guys too, but winning yeah. <laughs> had to propel you, had to propel you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, like I said, it, if, uh, if we don't do it in game seven, you know, game six is it's still talked about and it still might be one of the greatest games of all time, but it wouldn't quite be as important if we don't do it again the next night. And that was the great that- thing about that team, that, that team, they showed up the next day and we were ready to go. You know, it wasn't okay. We already did our part. It was, we still got to finish this, you know, and let's celebrate it real quick, but you know, let's shower, let's go home and let's get back and, you know, let's do it again tomorrow. So when everybody showed up the next day or the next game, what was that like? Was there a conversation or was it, were guy? what was the feel? Yeah, it was just, here we are, you know, I mean, this is it. So, you know, that's the thing about the, the media and people get all tied up in all the storylines and everything as a player, there's no storyline. I mean, it's, you show up, you have a bad game, you have a good game, you show up the next day, you wash it away and, you know, let's go, let's go do our job. I think we were all extremely confident knowing we had carp going, um, you know, right. we had a rain out earlier in that world series that allowed it carp to throw on 
uh, on four days rest instead of three or three days rest instead of two. Either way, if, if we don't have that rain out, Kyle Loesch is throwing game seven. And, you know, Kyle did a great job that year, but I, I like Chris Carpenter on short rest. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I like Chris Carpenter anytime. And so, you know, that was uh, it was nice to know we had him going game seven. A lot of guys on that team in particular were pretty bold faith guys. How was the locker room? How was the stories? How, you know, what, what type faith elements was there as you went through that season or um, with, or with any of the guys as you've done life with them? Yeah. I mean, we had a great group of guys, you know, my faith journey really became what it was because of baseball, because of that, that group of guys, you know, you got to realize in, in baseball, you don't have a chance to go to church. You know, you're playing every, every day you're traveling, you're out. So the only time my wife and I would be able to go to church together was if we had the Sunday night ESPN game. Sunday morning, you could go to church. Other than that, you're playing Saturday night, you're playing Sunday at one o'clock. So we have baseball chapel. Uh, so we have a chaplain that comes in and uh, does the home team, does the visiting team, and also does the umpires. You know, and every team you're on is a little bit different, but man, we had, you know, so many guys and we'd have 25 guys on the roster and we'd have 20 guys in chapel. And a lot of that had to do with Adam Wainwright and just him being a leader and people kind of drawn towards him. And so Adam was probably the most influential person in my life baseball personal like just all in general you know he really challenged you you know he, he didn't allow you to just come in and tiptoe you were either in or out you know and and out wasn't an option so if you were out he was working on you and and if you were in he was challenging you and um so we had a great group we get together on the road do bible studies on the road you know meet up for breakfast and spring training we get together all the time and you know in baseball it's everybody's on the same schedule on the road at home everybody's on different schedules. Your family's there. You got people in town, you got kids on the road. We're all doing the same thing. We're all in a hotel and don't have a bus till two 30, you know? So, you know, that's when we get together and, you know, go out to breakfast and, and uh, break open the word. And, um, you know, or maybe it was a book we were going through Bible study that, you know, we were going through as a group. And, uh, but we had, a, we had great, great group of guys, solid, you know, believers that, um, just people you looked up to and you wanted to be more like and, and challenged you in all different areas. It was a, it was an area that really helped me develop and grow as a person of faith. Um, and it was important for, you know, one, you're handling a lot of different things professionally and celebrity wise, be able to keep you grounded. And two, like we were just, you know, my wife and I got married right before I made it to the big leagues. And then three years later had our first kid, you know, so, so I'm being a, a new husband and a new dad. And, you know, you got guys in there you can bounce things off of. And, you know, you got leaders you can look up to and people that that you want to be like, you know, from a, uh, the way they raise their kids, the way they treat their wives, to the way, you know, they handle themselves on the road, to the way that they talk to people, you know, just all that. You got, you got great leaders uh, right there every day you get to watch. What were some things that you picked up or things that you shared with other guys as they picked up from you either way as you're learning how to be a dad and a husband uh, with baseball in your life? Yeah, for me, it was, it was hard because I, I write, you know, the first three years, I feel like I was, you know, real observant and just, you know, you're not a leader, you know, as a young guy, you're just the guy that's, that's there. Uh, we had plenty of leaders. There was no need for, for more leaders. I think that's a, you know, people ask all the time, speak on leadership. And I say, man, one of the things I can tell you on leadership is not every, not every opportunity that you see is an opportunity that needs a leader you know, to come into that locker room and know, like, we have leaders, you know, what my leadership role is, is to fall in line, you know, and follow <laughs> the great leaders we have and, and not, you know, get in anybody's way. And I think that's a, that's a tool of leadership to know when it's needed and when it's not. And when there's a, a lack or a void of leadership, it's fine. But when it's there and it's solid, it's okay to, to sit back and, and learn, you know, and watch and, and, and be a part of that and, and let others lead that are, that are designed to do that as well. And, so for my first several years, man, there was no leadership. I was just trying to learn and soak up as much as I could. And then, you know, as I started getting a little bit more time in, we started to shift to a little bit of a younger bullpen. Uh, I had at one, I think 2012, I had the most service time of anybody out there. But even at that point, we had guys that knew what they were doing, you know, and, and I was still trying to learn at that point. So, you know, having a young family, you know, it was, uh, you know, watching Adam and the way he was with his girls and and with Jenny and, you know, all of that. But in terms of on the field, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of, uh, it wasn't a whole lot of leadership. It was more follow, follow Yachty's lead, try to pitch more like Wainwright, <laughs> uh, try to work as hard as Chris Carpenter, 
and stay out of Tony's way, you know, and those were kind of the, the, the things I tried to do and, you know, and go from there. But, you know, it, it evolves, you know, eventually I went to the Texas Rangers, um, ended up spending a lot of time in the minor leagues that year, unfortunately. And uh, then it's, it's a little different, you know, you're looked at differently um, as a guy coming from the major leagues. I was 26, maybe 27, had won a world series and I'm in double a with 19, 21 year old kids. And so then it was an opportunity to, to kind of, be that role model and that mentor for them. And, uh, and that was fun. I enjoyed it. Didn't want to be there, but, you know, made some great relationships and, and helped some kids along the way. You mentioned it, it was fun. Didn't want to be there. What, what were the challenges in your head at that time being in AAA at 27 world series champion? Well, it was double a double a, I mean, even at that and it, you know, and they sent me down. So I, I was up at the Rangers and I was struggling and I couldn't figure out why I just knew I wasn't right. And I'm coming off a of shoulder surgery. And uh, so they called me off and said, we're going to send you down. And, uh, and I knew it needed to be done. And, and I, I had to accept that I needed to go down there and, and get right. I knew I wasn't a minor league player. They knew I wasn't a minor league player, but I was performing like a minor league player, you know, and, and that wasn't ready for the big leagues. And, um, and I wasn't helping the team. And so um, I needed to go home for a little bit and kind of clear my mind, you know, the, 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 the performance side of it's one thing I can deal with that, but the physical side of it is the other. I mean, that's the, that's the thing that kills you. Um, just the mental grind of the not being right physically, um, and trying to adjust. That was the hard part. So went home and cleared my head for a little bit. And they said, look, when you come back, you can go wherever you want. Uh, we don't care if you want to go to a ball, you want to go to double a, you want to go to triple a, well, we were renting a house and uh, just outside of Dallas, my wife was pregnant. My daughter, we had just got her set in school and had a routine for her. And and I'm like, I don't want to go live in a hotel in AAA in Round Rock. If we can stay here in Frisco where we are from a family standpoint, you know, it's a lot better. And so they were like, sure. So I went there and, you know, it was tough because I wasn't right physically and I couldn't get right. You know, there's nothing I could do. I didn't realize it until a couple of weeks after I'd been down there, then the shoulder pain set in. <clears throat> so I think I was dealing with a torn labrum at the time I was in the big leagues, but I didn't have any symptoms of it until I got to the minor leagues and um, pitched through it all that year and pitched. Okay. You know, but uh, wasn't the way I should be pitching. And at the end of the year found out I, I did in fact have a torn labrum again and they had to have another surgery. And, but it was, man, I, it was mentally a, a grind. I've been through the rehab process, uh, you know, several times I ended up having six surgeries, but you know, when you come back and you feel good and you feel like your progression is one thing, when you come back and it's just not there, there's a lot of thoughts going through your head. Um, and then when you're 27 years old, you know, with a 20 year old kid, you know, it hits you of where, how far away you really are from getting back to where you want to be. And for me, I was more, I mean, physically I wasn't able to do it, but mentally I was exhausted. You know, I was ready to move on. If my shoulder couldn't get back to where I was, I was sick of dealing with pain. I was sick of dealing with, you know, it's embarrassing, you know, to go out there and not be able to do what you can do. And so it was tough, you know, but a lot of lessons learned from it. And I think I handled myself well. And, you know, I think the Rangers respected me and, and uh, the effort I gave and the GMs had a lot of nice things to say after the season. And, you know, ultimately when I was done and, you know, so that means a lot, but I wish I could have kept going, you know, but yeah. it just wasn't meant to be. Yep. Yeah. I say age-wise you had a few more, few more years. Well, I was left right where, sure. you know, that was a frustrating part is I was, I was a couple months away from free agency and I was mentally exactly like from a pitching standpoint, I knew exactly how to do what I needed to do. Like I had matured and grown and like I was right there. I was in the prime, you know, I just physically couldn't do it. So that was a frustrating thing is I would have liked to see what the next four or five years could have looked like. Um, Cause I felt like I was really in a spot where I, I had kind of got it figured out a little bit. It's kind of funny as we get older as dads and our bodies aren't quite what they used to be. I feel that same way. Like I feel pretty smart, pretty wise <laughs> these days about a whole lot of things, but yet you just can't do it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm ready to go do that physical thing. And it's like, it takes a little bit more training these days than it yeah. used to take. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So physical fitness these days, I know you just left the gym earlier today. How important is that? And how does that help you in your life these days? Uh, for me, it's, it's a, I mean, if I'm, if I don't have anything going, I'll be at the gym in the morning. You know, it's an important one for me just to keep myself in shape and keep myself presentable but it kind of gives you that you got to have something to work towards. And when that, when you're a professional athlete and that's all you've known and now that's gone, you don't have that side of it. You got to find other ways you can channel that. And, and so for me, you know, going to the gym and, and having goals and, 
you know, is always, always enjoyable. I, I've tried a couple different ways of training and I'm at a CrossFit gym now that I really like, I like the people there, I like the style of training. You know, there's a lot of things I can't do. I have to, I have to cut back or scale it back a little bit, or there's things I can't do well that don't feel great, you know, but, uh, but yeah, having something and staying active is a huge part. You know, one, I want my kids to see that, you know, it's a, not a mandatory, but a, a very important part in, into what I do. My wife, you know, works out every morning here at home and, you know, it's important to her as well. And I want them to live healthy lifestyles and them seeing us pay attention to what we eat and, uh, and how we go about it, you know, I think is important. They're athletes as well. They, they play a lot of sports. So, you know, there's a lot of things that, that I have exposure to and knowledge on that I didn't when I was a kid, you know, and my parents didn't know that, you know, I think can really help them. Uh, through that process. And I think, you know, part of that is the things you eat and, and the way you go about your, your workouts, I think is, is something that's never too young to, you know, kind of put on your kids and, and expose them to. I find when I'm working out and in a groove that typically my food choices are a whole heck of a lot better. Yeah. I go up and down. I'm right now I'm, I'm on the end of my down. I said, I've had enough, you know, for me, I'm a big hunter. So, you know, hunting season's tough because when I'm traveling up to my farm back and forth to hunt. So you're stopping a gas station pizza and you yep. know, all that kind of stuff. And also with the kids, I mean, they're, you know, they're active in all kinds of sports. So we're, you know, at concession stands and on the run constantly. So it's hard, it, you know, every phase of life, life is different and, you know, just having to navigate it. But, you know, for me, when I'm dialed in, like I just started and I'll be dialed in for, for a while, but then it's like, once you leak in, you know, you're like, all right, I'll, I'll get fries with this today. And yep. then, you know, you haven't done it in three months. And the next thing you know, you're getting fries with every meal and sodas and, you know, and then you're, you're, then you're totally out. So it's just trying to eliminate that, that downfall at the, at the very, you know, when it, when it first starts to creep in, getting rid of it and hopefully it can last a little bit longer and you can sustain something. Yeah. I run, run into that same pattern too. Halloween every year. Yeah. Not, not good. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. So I heard your wife on a podcast the other day and she says, Kyle is smart and he's the leader of our family. Mm -hmm. She says, we both are responsible for the family, but he's the leader. So how does that make you feel when your wife publicly says that about you? Well, I think, you know, we have a great uh, marriage and, and partnership. You know, I, I think there's so many things that she's so good at you know, from our charity standpoint that we run, she's, she's amazing at, she's our executive director and she pretty much runs all the behind the scenes stuff. She doesn't like to be out in public speaking. She doesn't like to be talking. So we just kind of, I think we, we cover each other very well. The things that she likes to do are things I I'm thrilled to let her take and run with and the things that I'm, I'm good at. She doesn't like, you know, I'm able to kind of cover that for her. So, I mean, she's the anchor of our family. She, is the one that keeps, keeps it all going and moving and organized. And, uh, you know, she's amazing and at so many different things. So I would say we're, we're equals on that. We just, mine might be a little bit more public or, or, or more on the speaking side of it. Um, uh, but man, what she does is, you know, I couldn't do it without her. So we're, you know, there, there's an equal there for sure. Well, she absolutely said she follows you. Yeah. Well, I, I, I tell you, there's some things she follows me on, but I, I 100% follow her on on quite a bit as well, you know, so, you know, and with the kids, we're on the same page, you know, on that, but, you know, it, it's just, a, it's been a really good, it's been a really good partnership. She's been a great teammate. Yeah, yeah, that's so critical. Do you guys have any routines which help keep you guys in better communication and on the same page with things? Um, you know, I was trying to find those, those times, you know, we get in these grooves where you get the kids down, you're exhausted, you, you get in the bed she's on her phone. I'm on my phone. I got to sleep with the TV on, you know, and it's just, you know, next thing you know, you fall asleep. Um, and you realize that whole day you haven't had time to, to really sit down and, and go over things. So we find, you know, some little areas and, you know, we work from home working for the charity. So a lot of times when we sit down, it's, are we business or is it family or, you know, and how do we keep that separated? And, and it's hard. The answer is we don't, you know, I mean, if, if there's a donor that emails at eight o'clock at night and needs something, we're on it, you know, and if it's uh, the, during the day and a family thing comes up, we're on it then. So, you know, there is no business hours and, and home hours. They all kind of blend together because that's just who we are and what we do, but uh, we're able to navigate that and, you know, have great communication and, um, we, you know, we try to do, we just got back off a trip from Mexico last week and every year we try to do at least one trip, just me and her with no kids. And, you know, the kids get their bum. They're like, we want to go. And, and we give them plenty of opportunities to do things as well. But, 
um, just some time for just me and her to get away and focus on each other and, um, and just have that, that downtime, I think is important. It doesn't have to be a trip. It could be, you know, uh, something smaller. It could be a date night. It could be sitting down and turning the TV off and sitting on the couch for 30 minutes, you know, and just having that conversation. But uh, we're constantly communicating with each other throughout the day and, you know, on a, on a variety of things, which I think helps. One of our previous podcast guests, he threw out a challenge to the group and it was scheduling a weekend away with your wife and scheduling, you know, a Mexico trip or whatever it is, but taking time and getting away from everything and just you and your wife only. So it's yeah. cool, that you, cool that you guys just did that. Yeah. And it, and it looks different. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I hate missing our kids stuff. You know, I don't like missing games. I don't like missing hunting season. I don't like missing a lot of that. So you know, it, it doesn't have to be a week trip, you know, not everybody can afford it or schedule wise or financially, you know, it could be, you know, just going out for one night for dinner or going out to a movie or, you know, whatever it is, but for sure, finding that time and making it a priority, just like we make all these other things a priority, you know, you don't want to, don't want to overlook that. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to baseball for a second, you transition over to the Rangers. We talked about double a and interesting that you were able to come up with a way that fit your life better being able to stay in the same town and keep the same routine. You had been in the Bible study with Adam Wainwright and at the Rangers, uh, somebody along the way, I don't know who it was said, Hey, there's an opportunity here to get a Bible study going. Yeah. We, um, when I went over to, to the Rangers in spring training, you know, that was something I was worried about, you know, like, how am I going to continue to grow? And, um, and so I went over there early in spring training and, and, uh, met a couple guys early on that one guy had a Bible verse on his glove and just started talking to him. And he, you know, was like, Hey, what, what do you, what do you think about getting together and, you know, doing a little Bible study? And they were like, sure, it's great. You know? So we started pulling some guys together, started at a Starbucks right up the street and uh, met there and all of a sudden started growing. And we ended up hold, holding it at the, at the Rangers uh, spring training complex and, you know, had more and more guys coming and uh, then spring training started and position players were getting there. We had more people coming and, you know, and in with the Cardinals, we did we did a we had a big one already established. I mean, it was like you know you plugged in. We did it with the Marlins. Now they do it with the Nationals and with all the other teams down there. So it was just kind of what I knew, you know. And so we started doing that there. And through spring training, we had you know huge attendance. And and uh, then the season started, and I was I had strained my lat, so I was down there trying to get back and, and rehabbing, and had to kind of still a real small group there. And then. You know, when I went to the big leagues, kind of plugged into where we were at, struggling. And when I went down to the minor leagues, kind of started back up. You know, I was like, found some guys there that were interested, you know, super young, had never been exposed to anything like that. And uh, so we just started doing it there, you know, on the road. It'd be like, hey, let's go, let's go get breakfast. You know, I, I ended up paying for all the meals. Uh, that's how you get people to show up, you know, <laughs> buying food. So I'd say, hey, I'll buy you breakfast if you go. And a minor league player, you get 20 bucks on the road. So if you're getting a free meal, you're in, you know, you can, you can twist their arm pretty easy. So we just started, you know, going through and going through these, these books and, and, uh, and doing the studies. And we had, we had guys coming and going, you know, the minor leagues, you're always guys coming up from high A guys going to triple A, you know, so you're guys coming down from triple A, whatever. So we had guys come in and out all the time and some guys that were really far along spiritually and other guys that didn't know, you know, the difference between the new Testament and old Testament. So we just sat there and kind of poured into each other and, you know, it ended up being a really cool, there's a lot of great relationships from that four guys on that team ended up getting baptized after a game in Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, and I got to be a part of that and, and, and baptize those guys. And so it's just cool, you know, and I still keep in touch with them, still friends with them on social media and see now they got families and, you know, there a couple of them made it to the big leagues and got to see them, you know, when they come through St. Louis and, uh, but those are just connections and bonds, you know, and you hope that, that people remember that and value that and, and appreciate that and, and do it for somebody else. You know, I mean, I was able to do that because somebody did it for me. And hopefully that, you know, some of those guys are, are leaders in their community, leaders of their family, you know, leaders in their church and, and, uh, and, and doing great things because of it, you know, because that, that's, uh, that's what it's all about. You know, it's about understanding that you've been the recipient of, of, of somebody pouring and investing in you and, uh, and it helped shape and mold you. And uh, it's important to, for you to be able to, to pass that on and reach other people, you know, and not just let it stop with you. Yeah, that, absolutely. So I, the, the point out of that story that I just love was the fact of Wayno did something, got the groups together, did his thing. You were involved, understood what it was about. And then when it became your opportunity, you were ready. It wasn't yeah, like, well, you, I say all the time, like, I feel like I was in training, you know, like I was in St. Louis to learn from them 
And then, you know, when I was in Texas, I think it was, there was a void and it was like, all right, you've been trained for this the last five years. You know what to do. You know how to do it. You know how to, how, in, how powerful and influential this can be. Uh, this is your time. You know, and like I said, there's in leadership, there's times and there's not, you know, and that was clearly, there was a void and there was a need for, for leadership there. And, and there was other guys that were around that were, you know, well more biblically versed and, and, and uh, knowledgeable than I was but it finally gave them a platform to come in and use that. You know, it was, they might not have been the ones that wanted to get up and create that, but they had the tools. It was just, they were waiting for that vehicle to use it. And uh, so we just created that and, you know, it ended up being a great thing. Yeah. I was asked the other day to say the prayer before a a dinner meal at a wedding. I was like, wait, (laughs) my first name's not pastor. Yeah. Yeah. There's a void. They need you. Yeah, I was like, "Hey, how'd this how this come about?" And the the bride in the background's like, "Please say yes." <laughs> well, you gotta say yes at that point. I'm like, "Well, well, yes. The answer is yes, but yeah, help me help me get to where you guys got. Yeah, help me understand what you're looking for, or whatever." But I was like, "Holy cow! Like I've never done this one before." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm ready for it." But yeah. at the same time, they were doing a special wedding, so I wanted to make the pair special, and so I, I did have that jumpiness in my stomach a little bit <laughs> over that one yeah it's always a priest it's always a pastor oh yeah i don't i don't need the, to be the leader in that role somebody right. else is qualified and on that one i got the call i'm like all right i'm in i'm not i'm not hesitating i just want to understand how you got to to ask me this question yep so uh kind of similar but that was, that's awesome i didn't know that you're buying all the guys breakfast too oh yeah we've got a saturday morning men's group at church and we feel that's a key have a good hot breakfast. Hundred percent. Yeah, especially <laughs> minor league players. So let's talk about uh, brace for impact. Forty six. So how how did you transition out of baseball? I know. Well, I know the story, but I'll let you tell it. Yeah. So uh, my wife and I, we were looking for something to get involved with for three years here locally when I was playing here, and we just couldn't find it. And so through that process, you know, not to say there's not great things happening, it just wasn't the thing that we were that really grabbed us. And, and so Adam Wainwright, you know, is somebody I leaned on a lot and we talked a lot about giving and how to give and what your expectations are of your, of your giving. And, um, and, and so through that process, I just kind of, you know, was picking his brain on a lot of different things. Cause I knew if Adam was supporting something, it would one be something that I believe in, but also it would be an organization that's doing the right thing. Adam won't support, he won't support me, uh, with a penny if it's not done the way that he thinks it needs to be done. And, and is bought in. He's, he's not just one of those who's going to be like, yeah, yeah, just do this. I mean, he is, we're responsible for our giving and our ties, and we're going to have to answer to, to those things that we give to. And there's a huge amount of responsibility that comes with that to make sure that the money's being, being used the right way. And so he, he recommended some things. I called him in 2013. It was December of 13. I knew it was a miracle when he answered because Adam doesn't ever answer, answer his phone. And I said, hey, man, we're, we're, uh, I kind of have an idea where my career's heading we have this money that we've saved up to, to give and we haven't done anything with it. And, um, man, we got to get rid of this money. And so we had a long conversation and, um, recommended some things. And I was like, man, it just doesn't seem like it. And he said, I tell you what, why don't you go to Haiti with us? We're going in three weeks. And so my wife and I jumped on the plane. Uh, our son was two months old at the time. And so it was a hard decision for my wife and he was three months old at the time of the trip, but he was our second kid. So I would say, we're, you know, we weren't, we're not bad parents. We were just, you know, we were a little more experienced. So we go down there and it was life-changing for us. And, and I couldn't tell you prior to the trip what exactly it was. We were like, there wasn't one answer. It was like, okay, if they do this, this is what we're going to support. You know, like I, I didn't know what I was looking for, uh, but once we saw it, we knew it. And, um, and, and now looking back, it was the local leadership. That was the, that was the one thing. You know, the story in Haiti is there's six kids that grew up in an orphanage together. They wanted to do what people have done for them. And so our partner, who's our, our chaplain for the Pirates, when we were going to Pittsburgh, I've known him for a long time. He's been working in Haiti for 30 years now. And uh, he met these kids in the 80s when he went to go visit. He was leading a youth group. He went to go visit this orphanage that his church had a relationship with. And one of the, the kids said, hey, I got a vision. God's given me a vision to do what people have done for us. And I think you're here to help. And Brad's like, that's cute. You know, like, what do you say to a, a kid in an orphanage that wants to, you know, help other people? So he said, you know, he, he kept going down and building relationship. And every time he go down, the, this kid would say, hey, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And um, so when the earthquake happened in 2010, I mean, this is how long this relationship went on. 
Brad had been working at Haiti for so long that he got a lot of attention. He always says it's not good when cameras show up to your office as a nonprofit, but in this case, it was good. Um, they wanted to know, like, are you going? He was actually supposed to be there the day before the earthquake hit. People started donating. He had this, he had money coming in and he said, we might be able to build this orphanage like they want. And, um, and Adam and Jenny were the ones that finished it off. Uh, Adam came to him around that time and said, Jenny and I are expanding what we're doing globally. How can we help? We always hear you talk about Haiti. How can we help? And so we were on the trip with him. Adam's financial guy is a Christian financial advisor. And his thing is always, you're going to write the check because that's what makes it go. But then you're going to follow it because that's what changes you. You know, writing a check doesn't change. Adam can write a check for whatever, and it's not going to change him. But him giving up three or four hour, uh, days of his of his off season and going, that's where the true change happens. And um, and he says, Ann, you're responsible to your giving. So we're going to go make sure that it's being used the way we want it to be used and think it should be used. And so uh, we were on that trip along with uh, a handful of other people and it ended up being a game changing trip. Uh, we committed, we locked in, Adam and Jenny locked in and our other partner had already been going. And then we also had some people from uh, Water Mission that were there and we, uh, they've been having a really hard time with water. Um, they were there as a part of our trip. We were doing orphanage stuff for a day and water stuff for a day because another one of our teammates had done a water project very nearby. So we bl they blended the trips, had the same financial guys at Adam. And uh, so because of that trip, uh, very shortly after there was water on, on the uh, campus there, we loved what was happening there. And so we just said, hey, we're committed to, to being a part of this. And so we came back, started the organization and, and off we went. You know, I don't, we didn't ever think it would be what it is today. It was just, a, hey, let's do this. We'll raise some money, expand the orphanage. And maybe we'll go to Honduras and then we'll go to Guatemala and we'll go to all these impoverished countries. And uh, it was about our second or third trip. We realized that we can't leave. Uh, and the return on our investment is so great here that we can help more people through this leadership team um, because we trust them. We, we, we know them and they're doing the, they're doing the right thing. And uh, so our investment is safer with them than it is going to try to find this and replicate it other places and, and start with people we don't know. And so we committed and locked in there as did Adam and Jenny and as did our partner in Pittsburgh. And so through that, we've done a uh, children's home. We have 41 kids. We have a school that we started with hundred kids. Now we have 400 and we're building a high school next year. We'll open in September. Uh, so that's going to expand every year as we, we add a grade. We have ninth grade right now is our highest grade. We started, I think in third was our highest. So been adding grades every year. We feed the kids every day at school. We send them home with backpack meals on the weekends because we realized that, that they weren't eating and they were struggling in school. Adam and Jenny built a hospital for a kid that grew up in the orphanage, became a doctor, went to oh, medical wow. school in Port-au-Prince for seven years and came back and said, I want to be a doctor in my community. And uh, so they built a hospital. It's, it's a very nice, large hospital that uh, has a full staff, labor and delivery, ER and general care facility, has a lab there. Uh, there's a vocational school that just opened right, right when COVID hit. So it hasn't been utilized the way it needs to be or should be. There's just been a lot of delays in that, but the building's done. Water and sanitation for 40,000 people a day on clean drinking water, 1,100 toilets put in the community. So it's a pretty expansive program. And then two years after we started that, we came back to St. Louis and we finally found our fit here in St. Louis and North City. Uh, we have an amazing partner that we support that uh, has a plan for community development. So we support him and his organization and the purchase and renovation of homes uh, in a very pinpointed targeted area, about three street radius and uh, rehab the homes. We hire all local contractors. We don't do volunteer work. Um, so we hire all local contractors that live in and around the community. Um, we hired an 80% minority rate, which is a, a big focus of, of, uh, of how they're going to you know, hire the workers to do the jobs. And then once the, once the houses are done, we, we place families in, in the homes with a, a community coordinator that, that writes a life plan for that specific family and walks that specific family through every step of the way. So they got to pay rent, they have to volunteer in the community and have to attend seminars with this community coordinator or be plugged into other places to work on some of these deficiencies they might have in some of these areas. And so it's been great. You know, we're the fundraisers. We, we, we have the implementators, the people on the ground doing the work um, that we trust, that we love, that, you know, it's just awesome to see them take off and, and thrive. And we play our role, which is, you know, we don't know. We don't know how to help in these communities. We don't live there. We don't know um, what's needed. Uh, it's easy for us to come down and tell them what's needed, but it's not what they really need. You got you to gotta find local leaders that you know and you trust and are trusted in the community and allow them to do their thing. If you really want to truly change these communities from the inside out, 
it's a longer process. It's a more expensive process, but it's a process that's going to sustain. And uh, so we're in the middle of that and on both of our projects and, you know, we're loving it. It's doing great. Those are two communities that absolutely need help. Well, there's, I always say there's two, there's two people. When there's a fire, there's people that run from it and people that run to it. And if you don't have people to run to it, the fire is never going to go out, right? It's just going to keep expanding. It's going to do more damage. And so um, I just think God said, Hey, I need you to go, you know, and I'll, I'll say on the Haiti side, I didn't want to do international. So I get it. We get people all the time. I say 50% of what we do is fundraise. The other 50 is educate. I get people all the time. I say, well, we have so much need here. And I hear you. I understand that. I, I was in that boat. I said the same thing to our pastor at our church. And I could see his kind of look at me like I look at people now. And when we went to Haiti, never intending to get involved, just trying to learn so we could find something local. It was like God told me, I could hear him tell me, I, I love these kids here just as much as I love your kids. And to me, that was life changing because I never saw it that way. Right. I think a lot of people see it as well. We have need here because this, this is my family or my community or our, our country or whatever. And, and what God's saying is I don't put county lines and country lines and state lines on things. You do that. I don't care about the color of their skin or where they live or what I, that I don't see that, you know, I see, I see kids, I see my children and I need you to care for them. You've been put in a situation to where you have means. And, and I tell people all, they say, why do you do this? You know, you had a good career and you could go do whatever you want to do. Why do you do this? I don't make any money doing this. I don't take a salary. You know, this is a hundred percent volunteer for me. And, and I say, because at the end of the day, I have to answer to the people that God's put in my life. And, and I leverage those relationships in a healthy way to make a difference for other people. And if I don't do that, I'm going to have a hard time facing him at the throne and saying, Hey, I, I, yeah, I played in my hometown, had a platform here. You know, you've placed people in my life with, with influence and with means and all these things. And I didn't do anything with it. You know, like I got free dinners and got to go on yachts all the time or, you know, whatever it is like, that's not, that's not what it's about. It's about putting that back to work and not taking for granted the, the spot we have. And so I, people all the time are like, well, you have this and that, and I don't have that. That's, that's bull crap. You do have a platform. Everybody has a platform, what, whatever that looks like in your, in your life is, is what it is, but there's a platform for, for you to, to leverage in a healthy way to make a difference for other people. And it doesn't have to be raising millions of dollars, you know, it, it, but there's ways that everybody can plug in and play their role. And, and so for me, it was, it was life-changing, man. It was like, yeah, you know, these kids are important and it doesn't matter if I'll, I might not ever come back here again and see them, but the reality is they're God's children and they're important. And, and I might lose this argument one day. I might have it when I get to the throne, but I might say he loves those kids more than my kids. Cause if I die today, my kids are going to have an opportunity to know the Lord. You know, they're going to, they're, they're, and there's people over there that don't, and it's just important. You know, it's important that work's being done and, and progress is being made. And, uh, you know, I just feel like we're called there. And then here in St. Louis, you know, same kind of thing. I, I don't, I don't mind challenges. I don't mind it taking a while. I don't mind the ups and downs. And, you know, I, I, I like, I like the challenge. I like working with other people and, and figuring out how we can do this together. And, and so I just feel like that's where those are the two areas we've been called to. I love that you talk about we're all God's children and my kids from time to time will remind me that I'm their earthly dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, and that's, that's the, I, I heard that clear as day when I was there, you know, I was like, and then I'm like, oh man, my pastor, I can't imagine what he was thinking when I told him, like, I don't want to help internationally. I wanted to be here. You know, we've talked about it since, but you know, and, and like I said, I have conversations with people all the time. Does it, you know, people are like, well, I don't want to help there. I want to help here. I'm like, well, here's our link to our St. Louis program. Like, well, I don't want to donate. I just want to complain, you know, about something, but I don't want to be a part of it, but I want to make sure that you know that I don't approve of you doing this. It's like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> appreciate that. You know, I'm sure you're, you're plugging in to help a lot of people out as well, but you know, it's just part of it. And I think we've done a good job of sharing our story and telling our story to actually, we don't get a whole lot of that anymore, social media wise or whatever. We, you know, when I speak every once in a while, I'll get people that will come up and, you know, share their opinions on things, but I, I like it. I think part of it is the part of what we're doing is to, is to bring up that conversation and challenge people in that area. 
Absolutely. When I started the podcast, it was exact kind of same thing. It wasn't what I had planned to do or earlier in the day before I started it. I had just told one of my good buddies, good mentor, I'm absolutely not starting a podcast. That's the mm-hmm. one thing I'm not going to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Later, later that night, God says, Hey, I want to talk to you about your podcast. Yeah. I'm like, wait, no, you were there at that lunch. Yeah, right. You heard what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I was there. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, ah. Yeah. And turns out, you know, being obedient and following, I absolutely love it. And just like your nonprofit, it's just a part of who you are these days. Yeah. So that's fantastic. You have a quote on your website that I thought was pretty cool because it relates to a lot of people. It says, as a professional ball player, I've had the opportunity to meet some truly incredible people who have factored heavily into my success and helped shape my character, both on and off the field. They have made a significant impact on my life. When I read that, I was like, oh, that's so cool. Cause that's something I talk about all the time. The people that you hang around and the people that you're close to are going to influence your life for the good or for the bad. So whether you're a ball player and as you got into the minor leagues at a younger age, heavily influenced by the people you're hanging around, especially on a team, because mm-hmm. you've got so much structured activity being together. But do you want to speak into how guys altered your life by, you know, over the years for the good or the bad? Well, I think you, who you surround yourself with is, is, you know, you're going to take upon those actions, right. And those, those thoughts, those, you know, whatever the way that things are handled. And, and, you know, for me, you know, I was 18 year old kid when I was drafted 17, when I was drafted, you know, at a very impressionable time and go up through the minor leagues and, you know, 23, when I make it to the big leagues, you know, I, I just think sports is such a unique space that like nowhere else is there you can you be 23 working at a job where you go and there's enough downtime. I mean, there's a ton of downtime in baseball and we get to the field at one o'clock and we don't play till seven, you know, I mean, there's, yeah, there's BP, but even in BP, you're standing around, you know, so you're, you're constantly, there's constantly downtime and, and things like that. So I just don't think there's any other environment that, that is quite like it. And so, and that there's 25 guys that are all pretty much in your same, you know, you're all within 15 years, you know, really yeah. of each other and going through, you know, a lot of the same stuff together. And, and if you haven't, if you're not going through it now, you just recently went through it, you know? So if you're coming out of being a young player into a veteran player, it happens really quick after just a couple of years, you know, you can relate to everybody. Families are close. You know, the wives are close. Kids are, you know, you got kids, they're playing with the other kids. It's just a unique space where you spend more time with those guys than you do with your own family. And, uh, and you can't help but be influenced by them and, you know, make lifelong friendships and, uh, and yeah, and just learn from, you know, all those guys in so many different ways, whether it's work ethic, whether it's how to throw a curveball, whether it's, you know, how you grip your change up, you know, whatever it is, you're constantly always trying to learn from each other because they're the best in the world at what they do. So why wouldn't you want to learn from them? And then you find the guys that you gravitate towards that, you know, are people you want to be like off the field and, you know, you're hanging out with them after the games and going to the hotel room and, you know, hanging in their room and, you know, doing whatever. So yeah, you, I mean, you take on their personality and, and all that. And it, and then you, you kind of leave that life and, you know, it's still, it's still affecting you because you're in that age group where I think it's just the most critical time that late teen year, teenage years to your early to mid twenties, I think is such a, a huge time in everybody's life where it really, really molds you into who you are. Yeah. You mentioned, we talked to Adam quite a bit, but I got to spend one night with him bowling and all of his daughters and his wife. Mm-hmm. And it was the coolest thing to see them interact as a family and just the love they have for each other and the going back and forth that they were doing and just like joyful, just amazing. And, um, it was a really, really special time just to see that, you know, he's got four daughters, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I think they yeah, ado- adopted, but they didn't have, they've got a boy too. The, they adopted a boy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So this was before the adoption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to see that many family members interacting and all getting along and having a good time and I'm like, I only got two daughters and I <laughs> see them fight often enough. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and what you see there is, is true and authentic too. That's the cool thing is, you know, there's a lot of guys that put on the, the public face and they're totally different when you get to know them. And with Adam, what you see is who he is. I mean, it's, it's a genuine, you know, as real as it gets. And uh, so if you see him out with his family bowling, or you see him, you know, speaking afterwards at a Christian day, he's, he's the same guy. Same, same guy. Yeah. What I mean, he's he was... saying he's, he's, he's living out, which is what makes him so special. 
Yeah. Yeah. He, he has a way of just being him. And like, I love being around guys like that so I can be myself and just yep. have fun and let it loose a little bit. Yep. Uh, that's something yep. I can be a little buttoned up sometimes. So, well, is there anything else you want to throw out there for, for Christian dads, whether it's about your charity and organization, and certainly we'll put it in the show notes and, and connect with you. Uh, but any advice or any other uh, things to add? And then at the end, I always ask the guys for a challenge. So if you can challenge guys also, uh, but I'll let you. Yeah, I think biggest thing is just stay true to who you are. You know, it's it's not easy sometimes. There's there's times where you feel like you you, you can't talk about your faith and that's okay. You know, I, I feel like you, you got to respect some of those spots. You know, sometimes it's okay not to say anything and just show by the way that you are and and people should be able to to know just by being around you you know it, it doesn't always have to be crammed down somebody's throat and you know this that and the other i think i think there's kind of the old school side of it is like you know you, you feel like you always have to have it out there and have your opinion and man I, I think it's more noticeable through people by your actions and the way you are you know like like you said with adam you just you pick up on that right away so you know, it's, it's tough to navigate sometimes. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's okay to just, you know, be quiet and, and let your actions speak and, you know, love your family, love your wife, um, love your kids and, uh, and let them be examples for your family as well. You know, that's, uh, that, I think that's my wife and I, that's our biggest hope is that we raise great kids that go up to, to continue to, uh, represent our family um, and our beliefs well, you know, in, in a world that's changing constantly. And, you know, sometimes you don't know which way's up and which way's down the, the way things go sometimes, but, you know, just, uh, you know, stay true to it and, and stay strong in it and, and, and uh, commit to your family. You know, I mean, that's the, that's the biggest thing that, that, that's our biggest legacy at the end of the day is, is, is what we've done through our family. It's not through how the biggest business you could raise or, you know, develop or create or how much money you can make. It's, you know, what have you, what's your family life like and, and how have you poured into your family? And because that's going to impact the next generation. So that would be my, my advice, I guess, and my challenge, you know, love your family well and, and, uh, and leave your legacy with them. Yeah. That's a, that's one to consider a question is who's going to be crying at your funeral. Usually yeah. the answer is family. Yeah. So if you use that question to help filter some of the decisions that you make, it'll help you focus on your family and, connect with them. Yep. Yeah. Hopefully they're crying and not cheering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I forgot who that baseball guy was. It says some guys, uh, some guys, the light comes on when they enter the room and sometimes it comes on yeah. when they leave the room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whoever that was that said that. So let's get specific. Let's dial a challenge in. So guys can execute on this, this particular week. Uh, I would say just intentional time with their kids. You know, I think it's so hard now with, with social media, with technology, all that. You know, we're fighting that with my daughter. She doesn't have a phone yet. A lot of her friends have the phone. I'm like, man, once we do it, it's over, you know. and Our daughters are about the same age. 10, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she's, you know, we're trying to, you know, I, I try to explain to her. I was like, look, if you when, when the time comes, you do get a phone. You're going to have so many guidelines and, and restrictions on how much time, you know, we're not just giving into this, but you know, just, um, you know, making sure that, that you're, you're focused on, on them and their needs and, um, making sure they have what they need, because I'll tell you what, if they're not equipped to go through the challenges they're going to go through when they get older, you know, in middle school and high school, I feel like we're real close, you know, we're real close to having a lot different types of conversations, a lot different type of relationship with our daughter. I feel like we're getting close to entering that friend stage, you know, where, you know, you're, yeah. you're over the, like, beat them over the head, tell them, and you can kind of let up a little bit. If you've done, done good, you know, you can let up a little bit and, and be more their friend and their, and their peer in a way, you know, I know, I know you're never going to be, you're always going to be the parent, but it's just, I think we're in it. We're, we're real close to entering a whole different stage here. Um, and middle school and high school is tough. I mean, this is a, a critical time for my, my daughter, um, the next five, six years, you know, so we're, we're kind of ramping up for that. And, and just enjoying as much as we can now, because no, it won't be long. You know, we got eight years left with her and she's gone, you know, and, and what does that look like? So just enjoying every minute of it and, and, uh, and pouring into them and trying to give them everything we can to make sure that they, they have what they need going forward. Mm, yeah. I, I love that challenge. It's almost two challenges there. One, spend intentional time with your kid, probably figuring out a way to remove electronic distractions. Mm -hmm. In addition, like 
could play video games with them. That could be something you guys can have fun doing that. But at the same time, those phones and tablets and everything, if you don't have an intentional routine of separating yourself from them, that electronic device might be your kid's parent. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't, I mean, that's, that's a scary thought, you know, to know what's out there and what's on there, but it's, it's a challenge. Parenting's not easy. That's for sure. But you know, as I said, at the end of the day, if you're not exhausted, you're not doing it right. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I tell a lot of young parents that all the time, like stay on it, create a, create a uh, structure and discipline now because it will pay off in the long run. So. Yeah. And the second challenge you kind of threw out there without throwing it out there is being prepared for the next season. Mm-hmm. So that's a longer term challenge guys, but what's the next season going to be? What's the change? And doing some research, talking to some guys, asking some guys with older kids, Hey, what's this look like? And well, you better be look- ready for it before they are. Cause you don't want to be playing catch up. So yeah. being on the prepared side of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so brace for impact 46.com. Yep. Yep. That's our website. So we have two, we have two different bank accounts. We have a St. Louis and a Haiti. So if international is your deal, if local is your deal, you can give to either. We don't, we don't pick where the money goes. The The donor picks where it goes and it doesn't cross over. We also have a, if you want to give where it's needed most, then we would step in and, and allocate that. But uh, people can give specific to each program. The other thing we have is coffee. Uh, we buy this coffee in Haiti, ship it over here. And um, Caldi's helps us with it. They roast it for us. We sell it on our website. And all the money we make on that goes back to sending kids to our school. So for every 24 bags of coffee we sell, sends one kid to school for a whole year in Haiti. And so it's a great way. Everybody's drinking coffee. Why not drink coffee that sends kids to school and, and is helping? And so we have a subscription on our on our website. You, you can buy single bags if you want, but the subscription every three months we ship it to you and it's auto bill. And um, so we're really trying to boost that up. We also have child sponsorship available on our website if people want to get a little bit more involved and intimate with uh, um, you know some of the kids there at our children's home. Uh, we have the, the opportunity to do that, especially around Christmas time you know, with your, with your kids, go through, pick out a kid you want to support. Uh, just know that all the money, all the kids eat, benefit equally from it. We don't, one kid, if they have nine sponsors, doesn't get more than somebody that doesn't have any. They all, all the money goes to the same place, but it's just more of a ability for you to kind of get to know a little bit more about the kids there and be a little bit more involved. I love the, earlier you said, follow the money. So write the check, but also follow the money and be responsible. It's like, that's a really cool way to follow the money by having a specific child yep. that you're donating towards. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, I, we could go into the whole thing on giving and, you know, that's why it was so hard for us to find our place. That's why we, we kind of created it. Cause we knew, you know, we, I, I try to look at every dollar we spend. Is it something that our donors would be happy with and be pleased with? And it's something that we put at the forefront of who we are as an organization. And um, you don't really know sometimes, you know, unless you ask the tough questions and, you know, we, I love those conversations with people like, Hey, what about this? And I know all the numbers. I know all the statistics off the top of my head and I know our programs front and back. And so it's a conversation I welcome um, and actually appreciate because it's people that, that are putting the time in to make sure it's being the right way. And, and usually people end up giving more because they like what's happening and, and appreciate it. Yeah. So living here in St. Louis, everybody that lives here knows the location you're talking about and knows that it definitely needs some help. I was in the military and uh, they activated me and shipped me off. And they said, you're going to Haiti. And in the training for it, they said like poorest country in the world, 50% yeah. of the population has AIDS. There's like zero trees and vegetation there because yep. they've chopped it all down and turned it into firewood and kindling and stuff. And I was like, Oh no, I don't want to go there. <laughs> Is there a way where you could drop me off somewhere and let the rest of the guys go? That sounds yeah. horrible. Yeah. It's a challenge, but there's great people there. There's great things happening, and especially in today's news. You know, there's there was kidnappings a little bit ago. This president got assassinated. Look, I mean, it's it's a mess. I mean, there's no denying it. But there's some really cool stuff happening, and there's some really amazing organizations down there. There's amazing people down there, and ultimately, the people are they're free. They want they're actually the first nation to to win their freedom from slavery, but they're not free. You know, I mean, they're totally captive to the corruption and the things that are happening there. And, you know, there's stories of they wake up one day and their money's worth half of what it was the night before. And, you know, it's just, it's just not fair. And um, it's not their fault. Um, they didn't do anything to deserve it. They, uh, they didn't choose to live there. You know, we could have easily been chosen to, to, to be there, but for some reason we weren't. And uh, just remember there's an obligation that comes with that. 
you know, that, that doesn't, you, you're not put in the situation you are just because you're a good person. You're, you're put in the situation you are to, to maximize it and use it the most you can. And there's people that didn't draw the, the straw that we drew. And uh, that's something that people are going to have to answer for at the end. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, guys, if you're not all that dialed into St. Louis, we got a lot of people across the world listening. So if Haiti caught your attention, pay attention to that because it really, really, really is a country that needs, we talk leadership, needs leadership. There are some leaders there that are doing some good things. And Kyle's organization is fantastic. I know a lot of guys that are real tight with the organization and guys I respect a lot. They also recommend it and uh, do a lot, you know, to be involved as well. So thank you for everything that you do both here in St. Louis and also abroad, and then just sharing your faith and being a great example for local guys and, you know, then doing things like this, which can impact guys around the world as well. Yep. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much guys and catch you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the journey of a Christian dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light, shine that light out and let others see it with you guys. Part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself, be accountable to God and Jesus. I hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. I hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others. Join us inside of the Journey of a Christian Dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others. Have your buddies join. Have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith, grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, Thanks for blessing all of us, and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.